the news of the week is clearly the Jayland Walker story, and that's what we will be starting with on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Let's go straight to it. With the close of the investigation into the death of Jayland Walker and a week-long presentation to a grand jury complete, is anyone being charged with a crime? Laura, what are the major findings of the investigation? There are no charges. Attorney General Dave Yost held a video press conference yesterday afternoon to go after the decision of the grand jury, which met for that week, and they released all of the evidence they compiled. We're talking about hundreds of pages of documents, of photos, of interview transcripts, of a timeline. And what Yost stressed is that the bu- the police found a bullet casing from the chase and that police believed Jalen Walker had a weapon. And that seemed to change everything for the officers. They said they feared for their lives. And when Jalen got out of the car, reached for his waistband, they believed he still had that gun. So bullets of eight officers struck Walker 46 times on June 27th of last year. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation handled this entire independent examination. And they conducted more than 100 interviews, including with 47 police. They served six six search warrants, four subpoenas, They had cell phone, employment records, Google records, financial phone records, 140 items of evidence, and 51 body-worn camera footage clips. So this was an exhaustive investigation. Obviously, it started right after the shooting in the summer, and and this is the conclusion. What, What was interesting, when we talked about this last summer, we said this investigation would largely come down to, did he fire a shot from the car? Because Mm -hmm. the minute you shoot at police, it changes everything. And if you read the interviews with the police, they say that, Mm -hmm. holy moly, he just shot at us. That raises the tension. He's a dangerous guy. Signal 21 and everybody comes. The minute somebody shoots at a police officer, they're danger. I mean, how many massacres do you have to see by unhinged people with guns? And they have to see it through to the conclusion. People are saying, well, they had his license plate number. They knew who he is. Couldn't they catch up with him later? He took a shot at police. You don't know what's going to happen next. Look, what was odd yesterday is how careful everybody was being not to say it. But I think the evidence is overwhelming that Jalen Walker brought this on to himself. He shot at police. The evidence is clear. And then when he was running away, he turned around, reached into his waistband, pulled down his arm and pointed at police. I mean, the, the, the photos back that up. Every officer saw it that way. What are police supposed to do? I feel really bad for these officers. When you read this, they are traumatized. They killed an unarmed man, but I don't believe they had a choice. Their job is to protect the community. The police interviews do show that they're, these are thoughtful interviews where people are explaining what is happening. And they are emotional and teary. And they say things like, you know, I just wanted him to get out of the car with his hands up. Like, please, God, just let him get out of the car with his hands up. They didn't want to shoot. Jalen Walker. I think they felt they had no choice. And, you know, what everybody points to is 46 shots. You know, this happened over seven seconds. That's a lot of shots. And when you look at the bullet casings on the ground, it sounds like so many. When you have eight officers who don't know who's shooting at this point, right? They hear a shot. They don't know if it's Jalen Walker shooting and they don't know it's police. They shoot. And, And I think that's what the original commotion and and feeling and emotion that set off all of those protests in Akron last summer. And I understand it. That's a a terrible way to die. But when you look at the facts of the situation, 
no one's taking this like lightly. And yeah, it escalated with that gunshot during the chase. I mean, the thing is, Jalen Walker had been driving around kind of aimlessly. He'd gotten pulled over the night before, or sorry, chased the night before, I believe, by New Franklin. They see the same car. They let it go. They see it again eight minutes later. They think maybe something suspicious is happening. And then when that shot gets fired, everything changes. And well, the other the other thing that's clear here, he he was traumatized yes. clearly by the death of his girlfriend. There were there was in the timeline he was calling about trips to Africa. There were odd communications with his family that was very worried about him because mm-hmm. of what was going on because of the death of his girlfriend. He's like you said, he's driving around aimlessly. We as a society don't deal well with people who are having mental trauma. Right, and grief. I mean, his his fiance, and I don't know if they were technically engaged, but he had a wedding ring in the car. She died in a car crash on May 28th, and this timeline starts then. You know, hours after she dies, he's texting her, I love you. He Googles the quickest way to die. He dr- Googles drinking bleach. His family is texting him saying, we're really worried about you. It. This is so sad, and that's what... You know, Attorney General Dave Yost said in this news conference, the question for the grand jury was not whether this was a horrible tragedy, as it clearly was. Like, he he had no drugs in his system, no alcohol, but he's clearly grieving deeply and having a mental health, you know, crisis. And they were asked, one of the reporters, one of the reporters Mm -hmm. who actually asked the legitimate question, asked, do you think this is a case of suicide Mm -hmm. by cop? And they were very careful not to say Yes, but they left the door wide open. I think when you look at the totality of the evidence, that's clearly what it was. I mean, you don't, when you're wearing a ski mask, you fired a shot at police and you're running away. If you turn around and aim your arm at them, there's only one way that's going to end. Right. They didn't know he didn't have a gun. How were they supposed to know that? The other thing I'd like to say before we go is that media has got to step up. It was embarrassing watching that press conference. You know, after a 40-minute presentation of thousands of documents and timelines, a reporter asked, what single piece of evidence changed your mind on this? And it's like, you saw Dave Yo's face, because he's a smart guy. You could see him thinking, you know, what? And he finally said, well, if there was one piece of evidence, we wouldn't have had to spend well, a week before and a grand jury. And it wasn't his decision. This was a grand jury. Right. And I just want to put out that it was made up of two black and seven white residents. Six were women and three were men, because I know that people wonder, like, who's the makeup of that? None of them have come forward. They're not identified. I don't know if any of them will talk about what was presented over that week. The other question that threw me was, you know, how do you know the police didn't plant the bullet casing? If you're going to ask that question, you have to have some piece of evidence to support it. You can't just randomly say, you know, hey, do you think police got together that night and decided they wanted to shoot somebody? I mean, it's just one of those those things you heard and you cringe because they're the media. We're the media. It makes us all look bad. Our job is to convey the facts, right? The entire picture, the context. And in that vein, I do want to say, you know, there was a a news conference with Jalen's family who were very upset at this decision. And, you know, their Akron schools canceled today. A lot of government buildings are closed. There's windows boarded up. People don't know what's going to happen with protests. So obviously a whole lot of people are upset about this. The Ohio Democratic Party put out a kind of weird statement. That was bizarre. Yeah. So like this is really, you know, torn the community and and I don't know what's next for Akron. I hope everything stays peaceful. But um, yeah, just a really... If you go through the evidence, I mean, there's 25 different links from the attorney general of photo after photo after photo of the evidence. And it is really sobering how much information is there.
there. Lisa, Layla, do you have anything you want to add to the conversation? Well, and I did see that press conference. It was held by uh, Jalen Walker's family's attorneys and family members, and it went on for over an hour. But they were angry, but I had to give them credit for in- entreating people not to be violent. You mm-hmm. know, they're saying, you know, they want to paint us as a violent mob. Don't give them that satisfaction. So, you know, even though they were angry, you know, they did call for peaceful protests. So hopefully uh, people will listen to that. Yeah, we'll have to see. Layla? <sighs> I mean, it's just such a tragic, heartbreaking scenario to think that this could potentially be a suicide by cop situation. And um, I just, it it really just soul crushing to imagine what Jalen Walker might have been feeling and, you know, in those moments, but it does sound like he, uh, he was really, really just uh, untethered and looking for some relief from his anguish. Yeah. If, if somebody could have provided him some mental health help, he'd, this probably all wouldn't have happened, but how do you know? I mean, it, it was right. clear his family was worried, but he was driving around. He wasn't coming back. Very sad case. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Did Jim Jordan get what he wanted by taking his committee on the road to New York to, to put a spotlight on crime in the home of the prosecutor who was handling the Donald Trump hush money case? Lisa, it was a circus. It was quite the circus, and there were a lot of performers. So, uh, you know, House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan took the committee to New York City for testimony to support his claim that New York City Prosecutor Alvin Bragg is using his office to do the bidding of left-wing campaign funders. And he was saying that, you know, Bragg was focusing on getting after Donald Trump when uh, he was being soft on crime in the city and claimed that crime was running rampant in the city. New York City Mayor Eric Adams in a press conference says Jordan is the one who's playing politics by intimidating Bragg on Trump's behalf. Uh, The Democrat from New York, Gerald Nadler, said it's an outrageous abuse of power and weaponizing the Judiciary Committee. And uh, just a lot of people weighed in. And there were demonstrators. They're outside of the of the committee, there were several anti-Jordan demonstrators. They, you could hear them shouting outside that Jordan was sleazy and a liar. He was a traitor and an insurrectionist, but there were pro Jordan and pro GOP demonstrators inside the room. They were cheering loudly several times, obviously went to the Marjorie Taylor Greene School of Public Disruption because they were (laughs) cheering loudly when witnesses, you know, were going their way. And Jordan threatened to eject them and he had to eject two of them, you know, later because they they interrupted Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California on the committee who was trying to talk. So, yeah, it was quite a circus. Yeah, Jordan has become the circus clown. He'll do anything to get the spotlight, the headline, to defend Donald Trump. What's troubling about this, though, is this undercurrent of of a theme the Republicans are pushing that the cities in America are lawless places because they're run by Democrats. They're really trying to trade on this idea in the rural areas that the cities are these forbidding, horrible lands only because they're run by Democrats. That's a terrible thing to do. And it makes it very hard for the cities to to navigate around that. I, I don't think that's happening as much in Ohio. I don't think Mike DeWine and John Houston are going down that road. 
but it is an ugly thing. Somebody said, you should come to Milwaukee. It's out of control. Right, and right. There was news out of Baltimore. Baltimore is a lawless place. And that th- one of the reasons there's gun violence in the cities is because Republicans have stopped the ability of cities to regulate guns. But the cities aren't the places that the Republicans are trying to convey. And Jim Kessler, who is with Policy of the Third Way, he testified that the New York City murder rate is 18% below the national average, and the Ohio murder rate as a state is 59% higher than New York City. And they've, you know, there have been, I actually read a fact check this morning on CNN where they were saying that, you know, a lot of cities have lower crime rates than, than New York City. And there was one Democrat, I didn't catch his name. He says, well, you know, maybe you should have the hearing in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's the circus. Jim Jordan got what he wanted. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cedar Point has dropped the price of admission. What is the new price? And when was the last time amusement park dropped its gate price? How does it compare to Disney World? And Layla, I got to tell you, I must not have been paying attention. I was shocked by how expensive it is to go to that park. I know. This is the first time Cedar Point has lowered the price of admission at the gate in nearly 20 years. The season, this season, it'll be 80 bucks down from 85 last year. In 2021, it was $75. 2006 was the last time they lowered their price. That was leading into the Great Recession. At that time, ticket prices dropped from $44.95 to $39.95. You know, one industry consultant said that amusement parks have kind of hit a wall with their pricing after they, you know, enacted a series of rate hikes. So they're pulling back a bit. But I mean, you think those price increases, even over an 18-year period, seem really aggressive to me. Has anything else doubled in cost over 18 well, years? So all those times you've talked about taking your family there, you're paying no. multiple. No, 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 no. That's no. it. No. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because <laughs> no one pays full gate price for a ticket to Cedar Point. Right. If you buy your tickets in advance, they always have deals on the website that you can get closer to the 2006 and prices and if you go kid, like preschoolers free like four and oh under, yeah oh, wait free. hold on finish finish that thought Layla. so so say that again you can get half price yeah i mean they, they have deals on their website but also if you are a you know a triple a member you can you can buy your tickets through triple a but also if you go more than a few times a season and if you don't have a gold pass, you're a total fool because right. they cost right. 140 bucks and they mostly have sales. You always get them during sale season and they get you free parking, discounts on food and merchandise and stuff. And it includes admission to the water park. So it's quite the bargain. And they I say that like- more than half of the park's annual attendance comes from pass holders. So people are right. smart out there about it. It's like buying a ski, like a season pass for skiing, right? Like if you're going to go, you're just going to get the season pass and then they get your money in advance and they, you know, they have that no matter how many times you go. But yeah, and they have deals. So you buy the gold pass at the end of one season. So you get to go for two months in one year and then the entire next year for like, you know, a hundred or 150 bucks. I, I, the cost of this, what was surprising to me was actually how low it was in 2006. I, I don't remember that. And you're right. It's an incredibly high cost increase, but I don't know that anybody, if you have any sense, is paying that that sticker price. Yeah, right, right. But And also, if you do happen to be a chump who pays that price at the gate, they do let you then at the end of your visit if you go to the ticket sales booth, you can put the cost of of that 
what you paid to get in toward a gold pass. <laughs> and how much is that? The gold the pass? gold pass is is one hundred forty dollars right now, but they usually go on sale for you know I think for a while during their you know their big. Uh, you know, centennial celebration or bicentennial or whatever it was, they were on sale for like $99. So yeah, that's what I bought mine yeah. for. And I haven't, I got to go for three seasons because of COVID. That's right. And I they haven't extended bought one that. Since. Right. <laughs> so if you go twice under the gold pass, you're, you're cutting the, the price of admission substantially. Yeah. Well, if you the, go three times, it becomes. The awesome thing about the gold pass, once the park opens, it's, you know, in, in next month, I, I think it opens next month. You can take your gold pass, take your kids right after school for just yeah. a few hours. You don't feel like you need to spend the whole day there. You can, you know, that's the beauty of living 45 minutes from Cedar Point. How right, often you do go you go? Happy hour. <laughs> Gosh, we, How often do you guys go? We, we, we try to go as much as possible with this pass. I'm all about making it, making it, uh, worth the money. <laughs> so. Wow. I know people that didn't get a pool pass, so they just used the water park. Oh, okay. really? <laughs> right. The water yeah. park gets crowded, though. On hot days, I, I we've only been there one time, and I was like, yeah, this is a little bit overwhelming. But they do have slides that you stand up on, and the, the bottom just slides out, and you just free fall. So that's okay. a good time. All right. Got to move on. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. My head's spinning from the cost of that amusement park. Let's talk about the <laughs> other end of the scale. What hurdle did people seeking to raise Ohio's minimum wage cross on Monday? And they just want it to go to $15 an hour. Think about the price of that pass now. Yeah, Raise the Wage Ohio wants to put this on the proposal on the ballot in November 2024. I think by the time we get there, like, wouldn't everybody be making $15 an hour anyway? Um, unless you're maybe like a child care worker, which are paid terribly. But the Pi Partisan Ohio Ballot Board unanimously advanced this amendment. They can begin collecting 413,000 signatures. That's what they need to get on the ballot. The goal is to get 650,000 because, you know, a whole lot get disqualified. And the campaign plans to use mostly volunteer signature gathers. This is a work of a three liberal groups, and they've already done polling showing a majority of Ohioans would support it. The Ohio Restaurant Association is opposed, though, because this would um, make it obviously more expensive to hire servers. And tipping, you know, obviously servers get tipped. People who depend on tips for their wages, this would work a little bit differently. It wouldn't go up to the full 15 and it would be phased in. But so the Ohio Restaurant Association is now attended a hearing on a bill that would make it harder to amend the Ohio Constitution. You know, that bill that's coming up in, well, we think it's an August election, so that it would be harder to pass any constitutional amendment after that. And it does feel like anybody who's like super pro-business and anti what the people want are getting on board to make it harder to change our constitution. Would, th would this build in future increases or is it just cap it at $15? Yeah, it would, would, it would rise with inflation using the consumer price index, and that would pause the inflationary increases until January 2027 when they would resume. But at this point, $15 an hour. Remember when Cleveland wanted to do that a couple of years ago and everyone's like, oh my God, that's so much money. And, and you know, well, all no, these, it was yeah. more, it should be statewide. Well, because... right. You didn't want to disadvantage Cleveland and have every uh, business just go outside the city borders. But now $15 sounds like really reasonable. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. By the time this gets to the people, it, it will naturally have reached that for a lot of people. I mean, we, you're looking at, I guess what they did say is people hired during the pandemic when there was such a worker shortage are already making this. But anybody who's been hired since or who already worked there and didn't enjoy that kind of bump when people were desperate, they need to get raised up. 
We are never going to complete our roster questions today. It is today in Ohio. Lisa, it seems like Mike DeWine's becoming a megalomaniac. First, he wants to strip the school board of its duties and take them over. Now he wants to strip the state board of pharmacy of its role in regulating medical marijuana. Why and who does he want to take over? Honestly, I, I don't think there's a boogeyman here. This legislation was requested by Governor Mike DeWine. He wants to transfer the medical marijuana regulation from the Board of Pharmacy to the Department of Commerce. So the current Board of Pharmacy duties include patient and gear, caregiver registration, background checks of uh, checks of dispensary workers, selecting dispensary licensees, and maintaining a toll-free information line about medical marijuana. Medical pot... Uh, is overseen currently by three different agencies, the Department of Commerce, the Board of Pharmacy, and the State Medical Board. They all have different duties. So DeWine spokesman Dan Tierney says they're just trying to consolidate this for efficiency. They say that most staff support and expertise is already in the Commerce Department anyway about medical marijuana. The Ohio Medical Cannabis Industry Association Director Matt Close is all for it. He says, I look forward to the change. He says the current process is convoluted. And he says, I'm not looking for less regulation, but I just want a streamlined process that makes sense. And the Board of Pharmacy is all also okay with this change. Yeah, the only thing is the Board of Pharmacy is quasi-independent once it's appointed. The Department of Commerce answers 100% to Mike DeWine. So it does give the governor much more control. It sounds like the system's not working. We've done stories about the slow rate of opening dispensaries and people have complained quite a bit since this program began that it doesn't work as well as in other states. But it does seem like the governor's office gets more power. Well, but there's a Senate bill right now, Senate Bill 9, that's being considered to create a division of marijuana control. So it sounds like they're trying to farm that out. And then this would be within the Commerce Department, though, this division. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Who's the new head of Cleveland Hopkins International Airport, and why is this a bigger job now than probably at any time in decades, Layla? The new director is Bryant Francis. He's currently the director of aviation at Oakland International Airport in California, he'll, but he'll be starting here in Cleveland on May 24th. He's going to be making $365,000 a year, which will make him the highest paid employee in the city, but that salary comes with a huge job. <laughs> what makes this a greater challenge than any past airport directors have faced is that he'll be expected to oversee a $2 billion plan to rebuild our crappy airport. <laughs> so he has um, he has really extensive career experience at his back, have, having worked in Detroit, Atlanta, Louisiana, and Idaho, in addition to California. The This $800 million first phase of the expansion is expected to begin in 2025, and the airport is already negotiating with airlines on financing options for that. And they really like Francis because, well, for one, he's likable, it seems. Everyone says he's he's just a great guy. But also, he has the right kinds of experience. He's been through all the things that Hopkins will be going through, the capital improvements and lease negotiations with the airlines. Recently, he oversaw a plan to improve food and retail options throughout the terminal at his current airport with more local vendors. And that airport in Oakland is bigger than Cleveland's, which kind of surprised me. I don't know why it did. But they, they see a couple million more passengers each year than Hopkins does. So... He's eager to get started. I I keep hearing about this big expansion and how <laughs> they're planning to move forward, and they just have to negotiate with the airlines. 
I, I don't think they have any bargaining power at the airlines. They're going to go to the airlines and the way the negotiations are going to go is, can we have more money from you? And they're going to say, no, we don't have $2 billion to help you build your new airport. I, the confidence they have that they're going to be able to do this gigantic renovation. I'm just not sure where it's coming from. I know. Francis, though, says he has the right relationships with airlines. He, he sounds pretty confident about that. So we'll see if uh, if he's the difference maker here. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, the airlines <laughs> answer to stockholders who are going to say $2 billion. What are you nuts? I'm really curious what he'll say about Burke. He, has, he was intentionally closed-lipped about that and... Uh, he said he'll engage in that discussion once he's he's on site, but yeah, I don't think that's going to be his choice either. Justin Bibbs either going to close that down to develop the lakefront, or he's going to be bullied by the business interests that want to keep it yeah. and keep it open, as every previous mayor has done, despite popular opinion to get rid of it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've got another man who has spent decades in prison while protesting his innocence, who will now get a new trial. Laura, it seems like another big injustice. What's it about? This is. It's uh, the case of Dwayne Brooks, who was convicted of a 1987 ambush killing in Luke Easter Park. And police reports and witness statements were withheld from the defense attorneys, which is mind boggling. But two women said they saw five men linked to this death and Brooks was not one of them. And his girl, he and his girlfriend actually said that they were out of town when this happened. So the defense attorneys didn't know that they didn't know key details that police knew that one of the men admitted to being at the scene and testified that Brooks pulled the trigger had made false statements about his involvement in a carjacking tied to the case. And the invest FBI was investigating him in a drug case. So they could have used that to puncture his credibility. But at the time, this was pretty common. The county prosecutors didn't give defense attorneys their own copies of police reports or any other paper documents. Instead, defense attorneys had to review the reports the prosecutor deemed were pertinent. Sometimes the prosecutors merely read portions of these documents to attorneys, which that sounds like a miscarriage of justice. It is just striking how often this happened back then where they withheld exculpatory evidence from somebody who lost decades of their life as a result. And it's just, it's so wrong in so many ways. And it's one of the big arguments against the death penalty, because at least if he's acquitted now, he, he can move on with some part of his life and be compensated for all the years that were improperly taken from him. If if this were an execution case, there'd be no no coming back. Yeah, I mean, I have no words for why the system worked this way and why it took so long to deliver some kind of justice. Yeah, it's a it's a shocking one. They're all they all end up being shocking. They're all gross injustices. You're listening to today in Ohio. Our U.S. Senate race in Ohio was a record breaker for spending last year, and next year is already off to a hot start. What is in the coffers of the candidates who have announced so far, Lisa? Yeah, and we're more, way more than a year away from the election. So the incumbent Senator Sherrod Brown, the Democrat from Cleveland, raised $3.5 million in the first quarter of this year. This is the most in Ohio history for the first quarter of a year prior to the election year. So he currently has $5.8 million in his campaign war chest. Senator Matt Dolan, uh, uh, the Republican from Chagrin Falls, who's jumped into the race. He's raised $303,000 in the first quarter, plus $3 million of his own money. So he has $3.3 million total in the bank. And then Bernie Moreno, 
we can't really, because he jumped into the race just recently, just last week. He's the Cleveland businessman. He uh, just raised $8,600 in the first quarter, and he only has about 7800 total in the bank, but he has $3.8 million in campaign debt from the 2022 U.S. Senate race for a Rob Portman's old seat. Yeah, and, and I think part of that debt was money that he put into it himself. It's a little distressing how Matt Dolan, Bernie Moreno are almost trying to buy the seat with their own money mm. for, for Matt Dolan to raise a fairly paltry mm-hmm. sum and then put three million of his own money in. Seems like a guy who wants to buy the seat, whereas Sherrod Brown is more grassroots and where he's raising his money, right? Well, y- yes. I was just going to say, wouldn't you rather them buy, buy their own seat with their own money than having a lobbyist buy it for them? Well, I mean, that's a bad situation, and I agree grassroots is much better. I think publicly funded campaigns would be the way to go, but I don't like the whole dark money campaign either. No, you shouldn't have dark money, but it shouldn't just be a province of the rich. This is supposed yeah. to be a representative representative government, and what it is is a representative government for the wealthy. But Sherrod Brown's oh, been true. all over Facebook and social media. I mean, he's been running ads for at least the last couple of weeks, so he probably, I'm guessing he gets a lot of small dollar donations through social media, so we'll have to see. But I did find it interesting that Bernie Moreno, he's going to hold a fundraiser in Nashville, Tennessee this weekend at a Ferrari dealership. <laughs> That just strikes yeah, I, me as very odd. <laughs> just think back to his ridiculous ads. I mean, he he was the 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 comic relief of that Senate race before he dropped out. His ads were so terrible. His weird positions. I'm, I, I believe he went down to Florida and Trump said, "Hey, drop out of the race, and maybe I'll support you next time." So he's thrown his hat into the ring. I don't see any way he can actually win this thing. I think he'll end up dropping out again. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for a Tuesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Wednesday to talk about the news.